with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's program, we'll talk about China's exports surge to double-digit pace in May, beating market expectations. And World Bank cuts 2022 global growth forecast to 2.9 percent. And now let's begin with our top story. China's exports rebounded and grew at a double-digit pace in May, shattering expectations and adding to signs that China's economy is recovering from COVID-19 outbreaks. The country's exports rose 16.9% in May year-on-year in dollar terms, accelerating from April's 3.9% increase. And meanwhile, dollar-denominated imports also expanded for the first time in three months, rising 4.1% in May from a year ago. ASEAN countries remain China's largest trading partner, followed by the European Union and the United States. So for more on this, join us on the line now, uh, Liu Baocheng, professor with the University of International Business and Economics, and also Aina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So gentlemen, welcome to our show. Pleasure to be here. So first, Aina, uh, what can you tell from the imports and exports numbers in May? Well, the, the most amazing thing is that the expectations were that it would be eight uh, percent growth in uh, exports and two point uh, and two percent in imports. So, literally more than doubling in each of those. I mean, it's unusual for the market to be this wrong. But it goes to this issue about uh, China having a V-shaped recovery that is going to be led by exports. Uh, which was what Li Keqiang was has been talking about, and it points uh, very, very uh, good for uh, uh, China's future, especially as um, you know, people start looking where to put their money in these very troubled times. Mm. And Bao Cheng, so in dollar terms, we know that uh, exports grew by more than sixteen percent in May. So, what are the main reasons for the growth? Well, uh, the economic fundamentals is still there, uh, highly resilient because the uh, Chinese uh, production is uh, uh, maintaining uh, still its uh, normal operation despite of the disruptions in the selected areas by uh, the pandemic. And uh, uh, the other reason is that the uh, because Chinese uh, exports is uh, also highly dependent on the uh, contract manufacturing, so therefore. Uh, when the global prices of raw materials, energies are on the rise, and at, in the meantime, the uh, U.S. dollar is weakening. So, uh, therefore, uh, in terms of the uh, monetary calculation, uh, there is definitely going to be a, a quite a rise. And uh, uh, also, the government has uh, produced a slew of measures to support the Chinese export drive by uh, the uh, facilitation in the customs house and also by uh, providing subsidies to small and uh, medium enterprises aiming at uh, uh, export. So therefore, uh, we are still able to maintain a reasonable uh, level of uh, growth in our export drive and also in our 
imports. Mm. And Aina, so ASEAN countries still make China's largest trading partner, and they are making up uh, uh, over 15% of China's total foreign trade. So what do you think about that? And please tell us something about China's trade with ASEAN countries. Well, I mean, a lot of it's being driven by uh, places like Vietnam and Thailand. They call them the uh, ASEAN 6. Uh, these are developed nations which are basically following in line with uh, this kind of belt and road theory, which is where uh, China still produces uh, intermediate goods, but the lower level assembly and also uh, parts that require a lot of labor are moving to ASEAN, where obviously things are cheaper. There's also uh, repositioning by uh, foreign companies who are using uh, ASEAN as a way of establishing trading bases so that they can trade easily with China and easily with the U.S. without as much fear of, um, you know, economic reprisals and tariffs uh, by the U.S. You know, if you start looking at this uh, in terms of RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, uh, it certainly looks like uh, China has chosen the right path whereas the U.S. and Europe are still squabbling over, you know, uh, issues, uh, tariffs and things like that, trying to establish uh, lines where they can sell things, essentially high-value-added things. They still depend on these value, I mean, on these uh, intermediate goods, which are coming from China and, to a certain extent, now from ASEAN. Mm -hmm. So uh, very, 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 very useful. Mm. And so, Bao Cheng, we are seeing also that trade growth in the private sector has also picked up. So what does that tell us about the economy? Well, uh, the private sector uh, is still placed, uh, playing the uh, uh, very important role. Uh, there has been a lot of narratives that China is going to stamp out the private sector and strengthen the, the state-owned enterprises. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, this message is really distorting the true intention and true measures of the uh, central government. And uh, uh, time and again, uh, uh, Chinese Premier Li Keqiang has assured that uh, the market-driven economy placed uh, by the uh, private sector can uh, still be there and also uh, be supported by the central policy. So that gives quite a assurance to the uh, private business owners. And uh, uh, so far, uh, the private businesses uh, is providing uh, nearly 90% of the job opportunities and uh, uh, they are also uh, very uh, savvy in uh, discovering new business opportunities and shifting more onto the uh, high-end services. And then the uh, export channel is still uh, very smooth because they built uh, the uh, bridges and uh, uh, the new channels to uh, tap into global market opportunities. And the uh, branding of the Chinese products are still uh, get uh, on the rise and with more added value uh, to be bargained despite of the uh, tariff uh, that is still hanging over uh, between China and the United States. And they also have more sophisticated uh, global supply chain. Uh, for example, you know, they invest in ASEAN and they still conduct the uh, trilateral trade between China, ASEAN and uh, the uh, North American and European markets.
And so about China will also introduce targeted measures to boost some foreign trade. So what are the main measures and how will they help the foreign trade? And what's the outlook for the foreign trade for China for the rest of the year? Well, uh, one measure uh, actually is really targeting to restore the confidence of private sector to assure them that uh, uh, the government is still there to support them. So uh, hopefully the PMI the, uh, will uh, be on the rise and because uh, for the uh, beginning from the beginning of this year and there has been a significant, reduction of the business confidence and they needs to be shore up and uh, the other is that a uh, uh, government is there to uh, reduce the taxation and also fees on those uh, uh, businesses and then uh, they provide more of the autonomy in uh, the hiring decisions you, you can have uh, more flexible hiring and uh, uh, then the uh, Energy supply is uh, ensured because China uh, has issued policies to in, uh, to ensure that uh, uh, the supply of coal and oil should be uh, made uh, abundant and available to the export-driven companies. The foreign investment is there also to uh, to be on the rise, as you mentioned, to combine uh, a joint effort with the Chinese private sector to uh, shape the a stronger momentum for Chinese export and import drive. For the uh, whole year performance, I think the uh, second quarter of this year is really uh, lackluster, uh, but uh, we do see a strong uh, rebound uh, in the uh, coming second quarter. And in the uh, end of the year, we can see that uh, China can uh, continue to maintain a double-digit growth in its exports and imports is there to step up. Mm, so, Aina, so do you agree with Bao Cheng or what kind of uncertainties in foreign trade do you think uh, China will still face and what's the outlook? Well, uh, yes, I, I always agree with uh, Professor Liu because uh, he's generally right. Um, in, in terms of the, um, the headwinds, I mean, it's the international situation. Um, you know, there, it's very, very difficult. And, you know, one of the reasons that you see ASEAN as a star there is, you know, uh, since 1991, you know, trade with that has uh, gone up 85 times. Uh, and then the first half of, of 2021, as uh, Professor Lewis was talking about, they were actually up 38.2% in terms of trade. So uh, even though that was a the base year before was low, it still shows that there's this kind of expanding relationship. So start thinking of it as, as we've talked about regionally, uh, China and ASEAN uh, form a complete economy. They have both uh, demand and production, and you don't have that necessarily in the U.S. and Europe, um, the, the other two main uh, uh, you know, economic areas, and that is going to be to continue to be in terms of China's benefits. But the question of demand globally, especially in developed countries with inflation uh, riding on everyone's tails, uh, it's going to be very, very hard to predict. But I can tell you that uh, regardless of how it comes out, you, uh, China will do better relative to these other nations because of this issue of, uh, about production and markets. 
And Bao Cheng, China is aiming to build a world-class business environment, and we are seeing constant reforms on this front. So, could you tell us something about that? Yes, the the fundamental part is the China's continuous improvement of、uh, both of the hard and also the soft infrastructure,、uh, which is there to reduce the cost of doing business. And the other is that uh, uh, there has been. Uh, measures to uh, support the uh, small uh, businesses,、um, because there has been targeted allocation of sixty、uh, uh, billion RMB to support uh, those uh, businesses that are affected by the COVID, and uh, the uh, Chinese uh, uh, businesses and even foreign firms are now entitled to the exemption of uh, uh, rent in the uh, office buildings. And they、uh, now a slew of uh, uh, new graduates are、uh, really are coming to、uh, the job market. They,、uh, on one hand, produce pressure on the、uh, tightened、uh, job market, but the also、uh, positive on the positive note is supply of、uh, new talent、uh, into. The、uh, businesses, so the、uh, Chinese government is really supporting them, like you know, providing、uh, some subsidies to hire、uh, this、uh, new young graduates. And then now we are really working the, very hard as、uh, how we can really benchmark the、uh, CPTPP because we filed f-、uh, for the、uh, formal. Uh, application of joining、uh, the high level of、uh, uh, the international、uh, rules and norms. So、uh, the the other is the、uh, more of the financial the monetary support、uh, that are still abound to、uh, to support. So after all, it is really the private sector. It is、uh, the、uh, confidence of those、uh, business owners. That will be there to further, you know, assure uh, that uh, we are able to move ahead、uh, with a better recovery and with、uh, better productivity. Mm-hmm. And Bao Cheng, you mentioned new graduates on the job market, and we know that、uh, nearly 11 million college graduates will enter the job market this year.、Uh, this year in China, this is a record high. So China is、uh, recovering from its latest round of COVID outbreaks, but there are still pressure on the、uh, economy. So how difficult? Or what's the、uh, general picture will it be for the class of、uh, the 2022 to seek opportunities in the labor market? In China, we are facing a tough situation, and now we are going to have more than、uh, 10 million graduates,、uh, you know, coming to the job market. So the、uh, competition is get,、uh, getting very tough.、Uh, the、uh, government is there to、uh, provide a number of、uh, cushions and support for this uh, uh, job uh, placement by these、uh, new graduates. And、uh, they are there to support entrepreneurship. They、uh, encourage the、uh, sizable businesses to open more opportunities for uh, the uh, young graduates,、uh, particularly the SOEs, the state-owned enterprises. We have to take a lead and set example. And uh, uh, then the uh, uh, graduates are also encouraged、uh, with.、Uh, Uh, the tuition refund, etc., to go to the third-tier cities to develop their own、uh, job career. 
And uh, then you know, the uh, universities are called upon to uh, open more uh, seats uh, for uh, further studies, like doing master degrees, so that uh, their uh, job uh, requirement can be further delayed, and also their skills and knowledge can be further sharpened. The high-end service area is still uh, very robust, so therefore those the uh, graduates from uh, premier universities like Peking University, Tsinghua University, or my university, UIB, uh, can uh, have less difficulty in getting a decent job. We're speaking with Liu Baocheng, professor with the University of International Business and Economics, and also Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the World Bank cut the global growth forecast for this year. Stay with us. Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoyed the debates we had and look forward to many more in the years to come. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The World Bank once again lowered its expectations for global economic growth, saying the continued conflict between Russia and Ukraine could put more countries at risk of recession. The multilateral organization cut this year's global growth forecast to 2.9% in its latest report. That is down more than one quarter from its estimates at the beginning of this year. The World Bank said the conflict in Ukraine had magnified pandemic losses and existing supply chain disruptions. And meanwhile, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen faced a grilling on Capitol Hill on Tuesday over the health of the U.S. economy. She told the Senate Finance Committee that bringing inflation down should be the number one priority for the country right now. So, Aina, both the U.S. Treasury and uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve have been blamed by legislators and public for allowing the inflation to reach a 40-year high. So what do you think are the main causes and how badly have people's lives been affected in the U.S.? Well, uh, quite frankly, I think people are deluded um, if they think that somehow the, the Fed and the Treasury, they are responsible for the loose money that was around for many, uh, many, many years, uh, the, uh, large amounts of debt. And, you know, legislators are demanding, uh, oh, you should do something about uh, you know, inflation, but at the same time, you should keep the economy going. Uh, you can't do both right now. And quite frankly, the food and oil shortages are going to be with us for quite a while. Oil because of logistics and food simply because it's not just a one-year uh, blip. Uh, this is a situation where fertilizer and energy costs are going to continue to push uh, food prices. And it's going to erase any gains, any economic gains uh, that uh, people have because when inflation is higher than growth, that means real negative income loss, especially among uh, the poor, and that will drive a lot of social instability. So, Baocheng, what will be the consequence of the aggressive move of the interest rate hike by the U.S. Federal Reserve? Will it be able to solve the problem? The financial crisis from the 2008 has not, not really completely disappeared, and now there has been new uh, uh, problems that pop up in the uh, global financial sector and the uh, U.S. policy definitely 
is going to impact, uh, first of all, on their uh, domestic front, people will uh, be having uh, less buying power and, uh, with more interest uh, hike. And also globally, there's going to be a uh, more attraction for uh, the uh, global uh, currencies to be uh, invested in the U.S. long-term bonds and uh, etc. So that will be a negative spillover to uh, those uh, developing economies uh, with the more of the cash drain. And uh, that seemingly they're there to help the more of uh, uh, other trading partners to export more to the United States. But uh, that's going to be offset by the uh, uh, more cautious uh, buying decisions uh, of the U.S. consumers. And then uh, the debt problem is really a, a big issue for those uh, uh, developing economies who are impacted on uh, multiple fronts. So. Uh, whether uh, they are able to uh, live through uh, uh, this uh, uh, flood of the U.S. dollar, and now suddenly there has been a change of direction, and that uh, they are really uh, taken by quite a surprise. So, uh, and then the uh, price hikes of global uh, commodity prices, and uh, even now uh, the hunger that many of those uh, li uh, less developed economies are really suffering. They are also there to uh, look to the United States to be able to uh, help um, uh, by their leadership with more of the developed world. But uh, there has been increasing disappointment on this end. Mm, and Bao Cheng, so how big a part will the inflation issue play in the U.S. midterm elections? Well, uh, for uh, politicians, they want uh, a rosy picture painted, uh, even if it's illusory. So uh, they do want it to ship a uh, several uh, ostentatious uh, the uh, new indexes, uh, like you know uh, unemployment should be capped, and then the businesses should uh, be there to uh, give more confidence, and particularly for the. Uh, big firms, and they need to be given a cozy time. Um, but uh, the fundamentals are there that uh, uh, whether you do have the right type of productivity, for, uh, the, uh, for example, the uh, Biden administration uh, has produced very ambitious uh, plans for infrastructure, which is badly needed uh, to shore up the economy. But uh, uh, we do not really see a substantial uh, implementation in that regard uh, because of the political conflict. It's uh, uh, a short time for politicians, uh, but uh, we can also see that uh, 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 different interest groups are really splitting uh, more and even confronting in their uh, different proposal and directions of the economic uh, development. And that can really put a strain as how you know, the active action can be uh, really taken, uh, you know, with more of those uh, beautiful rhetorics to win the popular opinion. So uh, eventually it's going to hurt the economy. Mm. So Aina, the World Bank has cut its uh, global growth forecast to 2.9% for this year. So what do you make of the current economic conditions globally? And from the long-term perspective, which point are we currently at in the economic trajectory? 
Uh, let me address the last one first. And, I, you know, we're, we're going into a recession. The question is, uh, is it going to be a stagflation depression uh, where you have very low economic growth and then you have higher uh, prices? That seems to be the overwhelming trajectory. Uh, it does not bode well for everything. Uh, the World Bank will continue to reduce its um, estimates of world growth. Uh, China will continue to be the largest part of any world growth going forward. Uh, we could be looking at something very akin to uh, you know, what happened in, uh, you know, during COVID uh, with basically uh, China carrying the world simply because of the demand for intermediate goods, uh, replacement parts, whether if you're driving an old car, you still need you know, car parts where those made in China. Um, so this is this is one of the areas where it's going to be much much tougher. So Bao Cheng, so the World Bank warned that the global economy could slip into a period of stagflation similar to the 1970s. So what do you think? Well, this analogy uh, is uh, uh, valid because uh, uh, there are a number of uncertainties uh, that impact negatively of the global recovery. Uh, one, of course, the we do not know uh, when the uh, Russian-Ukraine conflict can really put an end. And the uh, the other is that uh, uh, there has been far less coordination that is expected among major economies in their financial and monetary policy. And so there's going to be a spiral of, uh, uh, you know, the uh, interest rates uh, hike that uh, uh, can also uh, bring the economy under contraction. And then uh, how we can really uh, work out a, a coordination on global energy and commodity prices. It seems that uh, uh, there has been no sign of uh, a building a consensus as uh, how uh, together we can uh, you know, manage this. You know, the last round of G20 didn't really produce much uh, of the substance. So uh, now the uh, another reason is that uh, there has been still, you know, uh, confrontation and competition uh, in building the uh, regional blocks, uh, either politically or uh, economically, that really didn't bring much of the uh, economic product productivity, but uh, uh, increase the antagonism between uh, the major economies, and that's also uh, you know, very much of the destructive than constructive ones. Mm, well, thank you for both of the two gentlemen, and that was Liu Baocheng, professor with the University of International Business and Economics. And also, thank you, Ina Tengen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.